I'm Debbie James Young, and all my friends are in bar bands. 2016, huh? Fucking hell, what an absolutely crazy year for for everyone, really. But um, I I wanted to take this time to thank you all so, so, so much for making this podcast what it is, and for listening and supporting, whether that be by sharing it with your friends or financially through the Patreon. Uh, however you uh, get this podcast's word out there, I appreciate it so, so, so much. This year has just been huge for the podcast. We've had a bunch of incredible international guests, uh, some really wonderful local artists as well, of course. I've recorded in Sydney and in Melbourne and in Wollongong and Newcastle and wherever the hell else. It's it's been really, really fun to uh, get to the bottom of people's stories and to share those with you. It's it's been a huge, huge year. I'm I'm absolutely exhausted by it, but I'm also so so inspired to continue uh, into next year and however long people will put up with talking to me. So uh, just before we get into this week's episode, I just episodes I should say. I just wanted to say thank you so, 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 so much for for being here and uh, supporting this podcast in any way, shape or form. We've got two episodes today and you are listening to either Sleep Makes Waves or Pup. Sleep Makes Waves are a fantastic instrumental post-rock band from Sydney. Uh, if you're into that kind of music, you have 110% seen them around and probably been blown away by their live show. They are unlike any other band in the country. I just think they are absolutely exceptional. I'm I'm always just so, so in awe of their abilities and uh, just the passion and intensity that they're able to get across. They did a national tour back in August, and uh, I spoke to them while... I spoke to Alex, the bass player, and Otto, one of the two guitarists in the band, uh, while they were here in Wollongong on a national tour with the contortionist and Tangled Thoughts of Leaving. This is a fun one. Um, Yeah, we had a chat uh, around the back of the University of Wollongong, uh, I will note that about halfway through we changed locations because a cleaner came through. So uh, you will notice a, uh, a slight change in quality. You can still hear you can still hear all three of us, but uh, at the same time, yeah, I just did want to quickly mention that you probably won't even notice. But uh, yeah, that comes up about halfway through. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's a very lengthy chat, um, it was really fun, and, uh, very, very appreciative of Alex and Otto's time for that. Pop, on the other hand, are a band from Canada, uh, from Toronto specifically. I spoke with Steve, their guitarist, and Zach, their drummer. Uh, you've probably seen their name around a fair bit this year due to the success of their second album, The Dream Is Over. They undertook a sold-out national tour of Australia back in October, and this was recorded uh, at Grilled, actually, uh, just in Darlinghurst, before we went in and uh, rocked the house for a sold-out show at the Oxford Art Factory with 
previous guests of the show and lifetime friends of the show, Oslo. We only had a little bit of time in comparison, but uh, I really, really enjoyed chatting to these guys, the first ever Canadians to be on the podcast, and they were as nice as you would expect a Canadian to be. <laughs> um, yeah, just really, really lovely people, really genuine people, uh, just great stories from all across the world and uh, from their native land as well. So Sleep Makes Waves and Pop are the two final guests, two final episodes for 2016. going to be taking a quick break, but uh, I also want to let you know that once you have heard these episodes, uh, you will be able to start voting for your favorite episodes of 2016. If you would like to do that right now, you can head over to polldaddy.com slash poll slash 9617140. You can vote as many times as you like, and you can vote for as many artists as you want. There are a lot of really, really cool people that we spoke to this year. Courtney Barnett, uh, Bad Dreams, The Sword, Chris Farron, Jeff Rosenstock, Modern Baseball, The Gooch Palms, Tired Lion, DZ Death Rays, Basement, Clowns, Drowning Pool. That's a thing that happened. And there's plenty more where that came from. So if that is of interest. Uh, we'll be compiling a top 10 uh, most popular episodes uh, just before we come back for the new year in 2017. So if you would like to vote, I'll be sharing this on the Facebook page as well. But if you would like to vote for your favorite episodes of the year, head over to PolDaddy, P-O-L-L-D-A-D-D-Y dot com slash poll slash 9617140. And we will take it from there. Alright, well, let's get into it. Sleep Makes Waves and Pop. Closing out all my friends who are in bar bands for 2016. Thank you so much. I'm David James Young, and all my friends are in bar bands. Today, I would like to introduce you to my friends, Sleep Makes Waves. Hello. Hey. How you going? <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Friends, hello. friends, friends. Hell yeah. Gentlemen, please introduce yourselves. I'm Alex. I play bass and the keyboard and do laptop stuff. And I'm Otto, and I play guitar, and we swing our guitars around, and we play loud. And he, he sings into the crowd without a microphone at strategic points. I've yes. seen that. Yeah, yes, That's yeah. why my voice is a little lost. Because <laughs> on the set list, there are a couple of songs that I do it every time. We're playing like both of those songs in the set list. You love it. Come on. Yeah, I do. Yeah. totally love it. How could you not? <laughs> uh, How could you not? How could you not? <laughs> We're here uh, at uh, my old uni, uh, Wollongong University, and... Uh, we're here for a Monday night show, which is a weird vibe, but I think we're going to work with it. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is it really Monday? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's Monday night in the goal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're bringing a band from America down, what you really want to try and do is play Monday night in Wollongong. Why not? Maximize your chances. I, I think that, why not? I think that, that's really going to give them a, a full glimpse into what Australia is really <laughs> <Yeah>. like. <laughs> 
<laughs> so the tour is with uh, the Contortionist and Tangled Thoughts of Leaving, a band that you guys are very, very old friends with. Uh, mm-hmm. How's it all been going so far? We're just talking off mic about the uh, the Melbourne shows, which uh, seem to be yeah, going man. very, very well. It's a great vibe. It's really good. I think it's a, as far as like the realm of sort of experimental and proggy stuff it's sort yeah. of, it's a pretty diverse kind of lineup but it seems like it's uh bringing home the bacon in terms of <laughs> making the, the punters happy and in terms of us all having a good time together as well yeah, everyone's yeah. just getting really uh yeah it know, feels really like good a, vibes out of it it's yeah. like a happy coincidence that the lineup which feels really complete musically and uncontrived musically mm. also happens to be like a bunch of our great friends which yeah. is such a nice thing when you're like at the end of this album cycle and hitting the road around Australia again and playing a lot of the rooms that we've played on this album cycle already yeah. it feels like the homecoming friends tour it's like yeah. do it again and this time you bring your bros from Perth and your bros from America Everyone gets together and meets each other and we go out and drink some gin in Melbourne and Why not? enjoy each other's songs for a while. All our friends are in prog bands. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the special name for this, for this week's episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess I probably kind of... I've been seeing you guys for a while. The first time I saw you guys was at Pete's Ridge Music Festival, mm. which I want to say was either... At the end of 2010, start of 2011, or start of end of 2011, start of 2012. It was, it was one yeah, of those two. End of, end of 2011. It was yeah, 2011. yeah. I remember, I remember, it, I remember it really well. Yeah. I had a really good New Year's that night. It was New Year's Eve that, or the day, the day before. The, the day Did that you New stay Year's for New Year's Eve? Eve? No, I didn't. I, I went. I went back. What and, did you um, do? I went to like a, a house party and fell in love. It was great. Oh, oh look at you! Hectic. I just remember, watched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Allison. Oh. <laughs> Hi, if you're listening, Allison. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just watched Godier play, and he was yeah. just on the way up. Yeah, it was I remember just that. starting to really get massive, and he got he made the mistake of like playing a really soft one just after the new year had kicked over. Yeah, and yeah. the crowd was like pumping, and people were cheering and drinking. Yeah, and he kept trying to get everyone to be quiet and being like, didn't work. <laughs> and yeah. he got really pissed off with that. <laughs> and then the next day, my friend Ryan and I... I don't usually get high that often, and so, like, what, I, I, I did. He got some weed, and, like, we were leaning up against the car. Yeah. And we put on Blues for the Red Sun by Caius. Oh, And shit. our fatal mistake was that we didn't realize the repeat button was on. So oh, Ryan and I just sat down there, entered a parallel universe, and then the next thing I know, the cars died. Cause we, and we checked our watches. We'd been there for three hours or something, just without even realizing the city was going around and around. So we had to get a jump start. But it was, it yeah, was can cool. I talk about weed on this podcast? <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> that was a great. That was a great show, and and that that felt like a bit of a turning point for us, to be honest, because we just got Timbo in on drums. Who, oh sure, yeah. Yeah, it's just become like an I think immense. That was one of his first proper shows. Yeah, he was about two shows in or something, and he's just become this immense, immense part of the band um, and so we, we just had him and we really vibed on how good that was feeling and mm-hmm. that was our first proper festival and we kind of rocked up and we were really excited about it and we had like a 1pm slot or something and no one really knew who we were yeah and but then like, I just heard the name that's why I came along yeah. a couple of people recommended <laughs> yeah. it to me and suddenly there were just like a bunch of people in the tent and there was a vibe and I think that was sort of one of the, the moments for me where it's like uh it was just a, 
uh, a feeling of of a lot of good things that were going right with the band dovetailing at that mm. at that time and, and yes did they know that everything was about to change <laughs> exactly that's the big turning point yeah. in the in the in the movie about the band's yeah, life for the worse yeah. dun, dun, dun. <laughs> no things actually got better <laughs> yeah. spoiler alert <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that actually that was one of my standout remembering things that I could hear you fucking screaming over the top of whatever was happening it was just like bam, 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 fuck that fucker's got lungs look at him go hell yeah this little skinny bloke off to the side this little weedy looking dude hey fucking... <laughs> I'm right here <laughs> words <laughs> oh thanks. they really do I'm so sorry no it's true can you ever forgive me I can <laughs> so I spoke uh, keep going David I, 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 I agree thanks Alex I, I, I appreciate the encouragement man <laughs> but yeah I just came to the shows because I didn't actually talk to you guys for a while I think the first time I spoke to any one of you was you uh, it was Otto at the end of Dead Letter Circus tour with Voyager and you was guys, that the first time we spoke. Yeah, that was it. Because um, you dropped your slide, uh, oh. and I picked it up and gave it to you. Oh, and cool. then afterwards, I, I was just like, you know, we've had a mild human interaction. I might as well talk to the dude. And I'm just like, hey, you know Tullet, and you know Karina, and you're just like, oh yeah, cool. Hey, what's up? Yeah, and yeah, so right we, just, we started talking through that. Man, I didn't even remember that, but that sounds <laughs> really, really lovely. That was the tour where you the guys... slide drop moment. Yeah, it brings yeah, people yeah. together. And that was uh, the tour where you guys were lovingly referred to as Steve's mate Dave. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember Steve's mate Dave. Yeah, that was a Stevie Lee thing, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. That yeah. hashtag is still existing on Instagram. Sure, it's really? It's still alive, yeah. Oh, wow. The internet doesn't forget, man. You learn that the hard way. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought we'd just be like, you know that thing would get really quickly chewed out in the meme thresher and you know the meme thresher well yeah there's, there's like the content oven and the meme thresher you know it's like, oh you guys have thought of everything oh yeah man yeah, definitely that's what it's all about quality yeah. content the content cycle yeah. and then I spoke to the rest of you guys uh, mm. kind of got to know you guys at that Metro show yeah that's the one I remember which was yeah. wild um, oh that yeah. was the best psych up of my life before like it was the biggest show we've ever done in Sydney before I went on uh, David kind of grabs me and stares me dead in the eyes and like locks into my face with the most I can't remember exactly what you said but it was the most exhilarating like powerful speech I'd ever had in my life literally like seconds that. before I hit the stage then he kind of turned me around and pushed me onto the stage <laughs> and I was like yeah yes! I can do this that sounds amazing <laughs> yeah, well, it, was, it was a good time I recommend yeah. <laughs> guys I think like this is as much a, a sort of like a script workshop for Sleep Makes Waves the movie yeah yeah, yeah, yeah for sure for yeah. sure yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, at that moment I've, yeah. it's like the main character is yeah, like yeah. kind of down on his luck and thinks he can't do it and, and all of a sudden yeah, he, you know yeah, yeah. It, it's, it sounds like that plot trope where it's like you know David gives me these magic shoes that have a oh, special yeah, yeah, thing which yeah. enable me to play perfectly and at the end he's like Otto the shoes were off the whole time it was all you <laughs> it was all you yeah exactly <laughs> I love that I love that that's fucking brilliant that's well on that note uh, it's time to do origin stories oh. um, so I want to know uh, kind of about your initial interest in music and where it shifted from being something that you were kind of 
listening to and being like, oh, that's cool or whatever, you know, something mm-hmm. on the radio or TV or whatever, to being something where it changed to being, this is what I want to do. So, Alex, we'll start with you. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us about kind of your upbringing, how music kind of factored into it. So, my first musical memories of like my mom playing piano. Uh, she's quite a good piano player. And I would like sit on a piano stool next to her and be really fascinated and I'd sort of go and like plonk little things out and I uh, really enjoyed it. And I got some piano lessons when I was a little kid and I was so shit. And they were not successful in any way at all. I remember piano lessons. Yeah. Oh, great tune, great tune. And then, um, then when I was like, I, I, so I was like then quite reluctantly shoved into music again when like mum and dad I was like playing heaps of video games and stuff like that and like pretty pretty quiet sort of uh, pretty quiet kind of kid and they were just like you gotta learn something and I was getting into punk rock and guitar music and metal at the time so like yeah I'll play guitar whatever (laughs) uh, 12 I think and then um, your voice was a lot deeper when you were 12 yeah yeah (laughs) it's probably why oh yeah okay (laughs) Um, then about like six months the first six months or were probably pretty hard like getting my fingers around it but there was a point at which it just flipped and I really really loved it and found I could play the songs that I loved by the bands I loved and at the time it was the thing that felt best and I just stopped doing homework and really anything else and just became obsessed you know playing guitar learning songs playing bass and like reading album reviews on all music and just like trying to find uh, you know new music I hadn't heard of new bands that I'd be into and just learning everything about it and um I played in like a couple of bands before Sleep Makes Waves. I guess being there from the start, I met uh, our guitarist Tom at uni in mm-hmm. philosophy class. He just sat next to me and he's like, "Hey, I'm Tom." And uh, you know, and I just, like metal. And I like metal pretty much. <laughs> and we became mates. And then when our bands broke up, we started jamming together. Right. Yeah. And I think for like the first five years of the band, we were very passionate about it musically, and we made like a few EPs and everything. But we didn't feel hugely serious about it as a career. We were very serious about it as expression mm-hmm. and uh, and getting good. But it was something we were doing along. Uh, alongside other things like uni and, and yeah, jobs sure, and everything. Sure. And it was about that time that we were playing Pete's Ridge that I think mm. it sort of crept up on me at that point that through not really thinking about wanting to make a career out of it, we'd actually inadvertently got good enough at what we do that we could begin to think about it that way. And uh, yeah, then all of that happened and, yeah. you know, and here we are. Here we, here we are. <laughs> what about you, Otto? Um, yeah, I had a kind of similar sort of thing where my parents were deeply into music. I remember my mum uh, spinning Beatles records and stuff like that. Sure, yeah. And, and I actually wanted to learn guitar when I was a kid. I was about five or six. I was very young and I thought guitar was pretty cool. Yeah. So I started doing lessons with this little Spanish acoustic in this like dingy little room in Maitland in the Hunter Valley with the, all these like Pearl Jam and Marilyn Manson posters on the walls. And this guy called Greg with this Fender Strat would, would sit down with me for, you know, an hour a week and kind of take me through really lame songs like Yankee Doodle and like mm. just flicking it all out on this little songbook. So naturally after about six months or so, I completely lost interest. But I remember like I practiced every night. 
But then I didn't touch it again for years. And it was only when I first heard Metallica or Nirvana or something like that. And I, mm. I, I lived in Ireland at that point when I was about 12. Oh, wow, yeah. Because I, I was really into soccer for a long time. Like, soccer was my thing. I was okay. obsessed with it. But I had this friend called Neil. And Neil uh, was also into soccer. I met him at a soccer camp. But he was also into guitar. So Neil oh. was like my gateway into metal because he was like into both. Right. And he could play guitar very well and I thought that was pretty cool and so I was like, well, I should do that. And uh, then I got this really like disgusting pointy guitar my parents got it for me for Christmas. <laughs> the Paul Stanley Apocalypse Like a flying special. V or some shit? Oh, yeah. Paul, Paul Stanley Apocalypse. Yeah, it's the Paul Stanley yeah, signature <laughs> model. Yeah, it it's was amazing. so yeah. bad. And I, and I learned like Enter Sandman and... And I, similar to Alex, like just tabs online, just like learning all these songs and feeling like you're making progress and feeling really good about it. Then I just played in a ton of bands and I was like playing shows by age 14 and like working yeah, cafes, playing Metallica covers and Slayer covers and stuff like that with Shit, my yeah. black Metallica hoodie, my nerdy looking glasses and my braces on, <laughs> just like spewing this hateful thrash metal. That's what I love. And, uh, and then... And then what happened? Then I moved to Australia. I kept up my guitar playing and got more and more deep into it, and it became much more of an obsession. And yeah, yeah. I played in a bunch of bands, and then um, became a fan of Sleep Makes Waves around 2008, around the time when I had just left uh, high school and I was just started uni, and right, I was yeah, like yeah, going yeah. to shows because I was 18. And I, I picked up on Sleep Makes Waves through an internet forum uh, for a band called Neighbor of Scars. My friend. Oh shit! Stuff. Yeah, they're still going. Yeah, yeah, oh, they're yeah. killing it. They're doing real good. And uh, I started going to a whole bunch of Sleep Makes Waves shows. I was the guy that went to so many shows that the band started to get to know me, like oh, right. through osmosis. And then when Tom left, he tapped me on the shoulder to jump in for an audition. I'd always wanted to, to to tour more and to actually be in a band that was kind of building and touring. And so when I joined, I think I helped kind of galvanize a sense of urgency and sure. a, a sense of like yeah we're going to push we're going to tour more yeah. we're going to do this we're going to do that uh, it was already there but I think it was kind of like well, it was just that last yeah. bit of momentum that kind of pushed it into something that started rolling because right. uh, after I joined we pretty much just didn't stop touring it started and yeah. just went and went and went and went so we a couple of interesting footnotes to that firstly uh, we didn't audition anyone else Otto like came in <laughs> for one jam <laughs> and uh, he's like so I can play the songs the way Tom played them or I can give them my own spin what you want and he just like you know completely blew it out of the water <laughs> second interesting thing I, I got to know Otto because after coming to all of our shows I started feeling sorry for him and driving him back to uh, Taramara you know, <laughs> what a legend wow after, what a legend is that days. true were you driving yeah, me yeah. home before I was in the band yeah totally oh and, my um, god the third one I didn't is, even know that is that um, <laughs> I still don't have my license Neil Otto's mate came uh, came back into our lives oh, um, yeah we he yes. I don't know if he still does, but for a time he was yes. um, working in, at, at Berghain, which uh, if you know about it is this sort of incredibly dark but famous uh, rave club in uh, in Berlin, huh. you know, with like sort of intense sort of minimal house and like kink overtones and stuff like that. And he had some wild stories. And uh, when yeah. we were over in Germany, he's um, hooked us up with some pretty good shit. Yeah, so, it's, um, it's actually not as exciting as you might think. It's just like this, this strange 
herbal root drink from Argentina called uh, Club Mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, it was so, that's right. Yeah, so, so we, Neil became a big fan of 65 Days of Static and got into post-rock on his own right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, yeah. He, he kind of kept an eye on, on, on Sleep Makes Waves when I joined it. And uh-huh. when he saw that we were supporting 65 in 2013, he like flipped his shit. Yeah. And so it was like this beautiful full circle thing, oh, kind of meeting amazing. up with Neil and, and playing a show in his hometown. So he ended good, up moving so to good. Berlin. All right. First time you ever played live, when, where, etc. All the details, whatever you can remember. Alex, what do you got? It would have definitely been at my school, which was a very stuffy uh, private boys' school, and it would have probably been me playing like bass to really cheesy big band versions of stuff like Born to be Wild and like oh, nice. Tunisia and stuff yes. like that. So that was that was like my uh, <laughs> my musical baptism of fire and stuff like that was uh, sort of playing all of this like really cheesy music because there was like literally no other uh, other way. Like I think I think Otto was probably way he was in like way cooler groups probably through like high school or at least like you were like well, let's find out playing, let's find playing out. different spots I, I like I like mostly sort of yeah just sort of like cut my teeth doing pretty lame music but it was good because you are you get the skills up I guess yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The, the first band I ever joined were we, we named the first name we got we got off a security intercom on the side of a cafe we used to hang out in there was this cafe space called mm. the Gaff in Galway okay which was one of those really nice kind of youth cool spots where you could just kind of chill out there was couches fresh fruit that was free yep, and yep, all yep. Of the metal heads would hang out there it was okay. like a metal head hangout spot and there was this security intercom out the front we were trying to work out what to call the band and it just said Fermax F-E-R-M-A-X we were like yeah that's pretty cool <laughs> and then we went back to our bedroom and like kept jamming Pantera and Metallica and Slayer shit yeah and we booked a gig at the Gaff because the Gaff put on live shows and Fermax changed its name to Negative Without the E at the end. It's just, just ending in the V. So, so when you say I that's was in the bands. That's pretty early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Amended, yeah. Amended, spe- amended spelling was a big thing, wasn't I, it? I don't know if it was cooler, but uh, we, we definitely played a few shows. And I remember at the time I was still trying to discover a style and work out what I wanted to do. Yeah. And the first show I turned up to, I wore this incredibly loud but still incredible Mambo t-shirt yeah. <laughs> one of those original ones and right on the back it had this big beautiful colourful drawing which said Australian Jesus welcomes the boat people oh, and awesome. my metalhead friends were so fucking mortified that I wore this shirt to this metal show that they kicked me out of the band straight away after the show <laughs> and so I was like alright whatever I didn't give a shit and I formed a new band with my other friends uh-huh we called it Incendium, and we started working on our own songs rather than just Incendium. Coming. Incendium. Right. <laughs> Definitely one with the bomb before has to come <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, Invisible Oranges. And, and yeah. I was, I was still, and I was writing songs at that point, and I was still yeah. working out a style as a vocalist. Yeah. But I started doing this like pretty cool growling thing, and I remember like I played a show with Incendium at the Gaff, and these were shows to like 20, 30 people. Like they weren't yeah, big sure. events, so it was mainly yeah, yeah, just yeah. a crowd and that kind of thing. But I, I, I did this thing, and then, and then Negative, who at that point changed their name to Negative Result, still without the E at the end, then asked me back into the band with the new singing I was doing. And it was this whole weird, incestuous thing. So that was kind of my, my first <laughs> show kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. nice. So, what, uh, Alex, what kind of bands were you playing in before Sleep Makes Wave started? Like, I, um, uh, give, give us a quick highlight reel. <laughs> I, I had a covers band with like uh, people who are... You know, still to this day, really good mates of mine, just high school friends and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and like, 
we, you know, were awesome mates and loved each other to bits, but being like 16, we could never agree on what songs to cover. So right. we could never like get very far um, in terms of that kind of stuff. Um, what was on the set list usually? Uh, you know, so I was I was angling for stuff like I, I was angling for stuff like Caius and uh, Faith No More and like the Smashing Pumpkins and things like that. And then our drummer and guitarist were like really, really massive metalheads, probably along the lines of uh, of Otto or something. And they always wanted to play like Metallica, Slayer, the number yeah. of, you know the number of the Beast, oh, no, no, I, I and stuff like that. Um, and and I, I had nothing against that kind of stuff, but it's just like it's it's very hard, you know, to sort of uh, you know get those things together. Especially and at that age. That was a, a similar theme for like the the band I started when I was out of high school called the Modern Condition. I was really into uh, like Coheed and Cambria and sure. Alexis on Fire yeah, and fuck uh, yeah. at the drive-in at the time, yes. and it was sort of trying to pull all those together and like my sort of burgeoning interest in progressive rock and we that was sort of where I played my first like I suppose proper bar gigs at like mm. a place called the Cat and Fiddle in, in Balmain oh, oh yeah yeah I played a show there yeah. yeah and so that was that was like the first proper show uh, I would have played in front of like a in a licensed venue yeah, like right. a yeah. paying audience and mm. we didn't end up end up getting very far at all um, but that was definitely a huge sort of uh lessening learning the ropes the thing that's really nice about sleep makes waves i guess um from the moment i sat down with tom even though we had like very different musical interests there wasn't really a lot of ego in terms of like anyone wanting to dominate the whole thing or, mm. or make make their ideas sort of uh stand above everyone else's and there was always like a willingness to compromise and, yeah. and because everyone was like really willing to move into a, a different space so we brought yeah, in yeah. our first drummer Will and uh, he'd never even heard of post-rock or any of the bands that Tom and I were bonding over okay. but his whole approach was like I love playing drums it's cool music you see like nice people let's fucking give it a go That's it. and and I think that was for me that was a sort of hugely hugely inspiring thing it just felt really easy you yeah, know we yeah, formed yeah. in like Christmas of 2006 by March we sort of demoed two songs we were really happy with and we had that out on the internet and my friends were saying like Alex this is really good and then we like played played a show and um you know, my friends who had been pretty like lukewarm on my my first band before that were like, "Yeah, man, like definitely go for this." And and you know, we did like I think the the first proper EP might have come out the year after that. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, people like Otto that I didn't know started coming to shows and started yeah, coming yeah. back. And just thinking about that now, that was a really good feeling at the time because I I'd can been imagine. so totally. passionate about music and to sort of feel like finally I'd I'd found my dudes and it was yeah, coming yeah, together yeah. and we were we were sort of in the same headspace and it's mm. pretty much more or less been like that ever since people yeah. have sort of like uh, come and gone in terms of wanting to do the touring and, and wanting to commit to it but that good vibe is something that always I think we've held on to yeah, yeah. You know? yeah totally. Otto were you still continuing with, with metal bands and stuff like that in the lead up to, to joining Sleep Makes Waves or did well, you I, kind of do a bunch of other stuff as well yeah I did some other stuff at the time I was playing in this band that was 
that point called the politics okay and uh and we were kind of a sort of synthy dance rock kind of thing oh. it's like half in rainbows radiohead half tudor cinema club that kind of vibe i'm down uh there are some songs up on youtube and stuff yeah. politics Good. with a k it wasn't bad like there were some decent moments and um and we were kind of focusing on that uh we, we had this kind of you know interesting experience where we had this sound in our heads but we didn't know the first thing about production and about what the right fit was for a producer and, and what yeah. that impact's going to be. And we mm-hmm. worked with mm-hmm. a guy and, and, and the end result was something that we, we weren't super happy with. Like it was very slick and punchy and all those words that the Pro Tools dudes used to describe kind of that, that sort of sound. But we, we wanted raw and the roomy vibe and all these words that I now can articulate I couldn't then. And so we were kind of going through this difficult phase of working out what we were trying to do. And at the same time, I was seeing all these shows in this really um, burgeoning kind of Sydney prog scene that yeah, was just yeah, starting yeah. to... I mean, I don't know if it was alive before then. I'm not really sure, but it felt like something was kind of growing at the yeah. time. 2008, 2009. Totally. Um, and then so when in early 2010, these guys kind of tapped me on the shoulder, I was like, absolutely, that sounds great. Because the Sick. thing I most wanted to do was just to play shows and, and keep getting better as a performer and to have those kinds of experiences. Yeah. Um, God, that seems like an idealistic time. And driving to Brisbane <laughs> oh, at 6 so at 5 a.m. was like an exciting thing and I'd post on Facebook about it and hop in the car and we'd drive off. I, I ended up having to leave that band just to kind of focus on Sleep Makes Waves stuff. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and those guys are still working on releasing something new, I think, under a different oh, cool. name. And they are a talented bunch of guys. Really yeah, like yeah. Sam Cliff was great. Yeah, so, so at the time I was kind of away from the metal stuff, but yeah. I was still loving it. Yeah, I was totally. still playing it, even though yeah. I wasn't in a band that was really doing yeah, that stuff. Yeah, I was yeah. interested in exploring that kind of... And also that kind of post-rocky thing of like the volume swells and the delay pedals yeah, and the textures. Yeah, of course, of course. That was always something that I was developing as a guitar player. Yeah, so as, yeah, as we've kind of mentioned, like uh, both of you have different entry levels into Sleep Makes Wave. So tell us about the first Sleep Makes Wave show. There are probably like a, a couple of things that, that really stick in my mind, like... We wore really bad clothes. Like, <laughs> Worse than that Mumbo shirt? Uh, well, maybe maybe not, but sort of just, like, probably a bit try-hard at the time. Like, we were, we were trying... We, we had a really self-conscious attitude to try and not be metal, even though we were playing heavy music. So we wore, like, collared shirts and, like, I had this, like, tie on and stuff oh, like that. It's, like... No. The, the photos are pretty funny. Oh, oh, man, I'm pretty sure yeah. they're still... We're talking, there. like, Mike and Michael Romance style here? Yeah, yeah sort of. <laughs> sort of, but, but not even that cool. Like, we, we just weren't... We weren't really, like, fashionable or handsome enough to pull uh, off, like, uh, uh. My Chemical Romance. It was just kind of awkward, but... Um, <laughs> I still sometimes like to rock a collared shirt on occasion. Oh, no, I'm not saying oh, the collared shirt. shirt's bad, but, yeah. like, I, I think overall we, we, we didn't, shirt like... Shirt and tie combo. We didn't, we didn't, combo we didn't like, like, cut yeah. a particularly, like fashionable thing on stage I remember my friends mockingly mercilessly because oh, as no. I like uh, turned around to fiddle with a laptop I uh, showed a bit of like tradey crack um, <laughs> which Classic. is like pretty good um, but it was at a place called the um, the Excelsior Hotel oh, um, sure. um, you know RIP it's, indeed, um, indeed. it's now a, a fucking Mexican bar and restaurant like Sydney needs another one of those big time everybody but, loves Maryvale <laughs> This podcast is sponsored by Mary. Good <laughs> <laughs> <But>, change. <laughs> you know, we we got a um. There's a, a guy and he's he's not in the game anymore. I don't believe, but a guy called Ron Bowman who uh, probably should be more well known in the Sydney music scene than he okay. is. Um, an older bloke who gave a lot of bands um, an opportunity. Uh, 
at the Excelsior and we were like one of those bands Kid knew uh, our old guitarist Kid yeah. knew him um, from sort of a few other bands he'd been in and um, yeah we, we played that first show Ron was like you guys have something going on always happy to have you back and um, yeah from there we would just play uh, play as often as we can I, I can't remember exactly how often that was but mm. you know every every few months we'd sort of you know mm. get together and just play a show trying to get the name out there try and figure out what worked and what didn't and just like gradually got more confident on stage yeah. I always had this really um, even back in high school I, I would always like have this compulsive need to bob my head like mm. really really strongly um, yeah. you know basically like <laughs> sort of semi headbanging through like the big band stuff and everything yeah, yeah, like yeah. that and I think like I sort of figured out a bit of um, a bit of sort of like stage presence and everything like that at the time like I was not uh, not sort of the most outgoing confident dude or anything sure, yeah. so it was really good it was really good for me yeah, I really yeah, yeah. enjoyed I really enjoyed sort of like discovering this thing where it's like oh this is actually something I can like do and I feel like comfortable doing it and like I can create something like with yeah. integrity and people appreciate it it's just like it was a it's a nice time and I look back on that really really fondly yeah, when yeah, I yeah. think back to those times when I first started seeing the band mm. it really is like like I think about the, the band in front of my eyes or in my memory there and it's yeah. like a different version of him it's like it's hard to see that that's the same person right. back then he had this like mop of curly hair and he was oh, wow. moving around the stage and, and he had this thing where he wouldn't use a mic and he'd just yell at the audience oh I don't have a microphone thank you very much for coming and it was like he yells without that. a microphone I forgot that. That. yeah yeah because they didn't have a mic on stage back then was, you know no vocals and, and it was just so funny because there was so much enthusiasm and like kind of this dervish chaoticness yeah. of Alex like half immersed in the music and half turning back around to double check the laptop wasn't crashed or hasn't broken he always had one eye on the laptop when he's playing and then he'd see him lurch over and fix it and come back and the laptop was always on something weird like a chair or, or like a table case or something we yeah. actually the, the best one I think is at one point I actually literally brought an ironing board along to put the laptop on <laughs> which, was, uh, which was like I, I thought yeah. I think I think I because I, I was pretty into sort of emo core and stuff I think I'd seen like a video of this uh, band I really like called The Receiving End of Sirens playing um, you know playing in like a uh, playing in a skate rink with their electronic stuff and an ironing board and I was like oh well it's good enough for them <laughs> so, yeah so, so totally awesome. so Otto goes from being diehard fan to actually in the band itself do you remember that first show yeah, I think I do. I think it was at Candy's apartment in King's Cross, um, which oh, was yeah. still doing shows back then. Oh, Candy's. Oh, and, gosh. like, there was so much wrong because, like, I was using this, this Gibson Les Paul, which is a really short scale scale. What were you wearing? <laughs> what was I wearing? I think I wore a, I think I wore a black shirt. A that's pretty, shirt. That's pretty safe. Yeah. That's I pretty think, safe. I, I think I was looking quite stylish. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was very nervous, obviously, yeah. uh, and it was exciting for me, but I was using this really short guitar, this Gibson Les Paul. Right. My band at that stage was tuned to this incredibly low tuning. But I, I, in hindsight, I was woefully underprepared gear-wise. I had this, like, really classy British Radiohead kind of amp, like this Vox AC-15. Sure, yeah. And this band was, like... And, and the, uh, the guy I replaced, Tom, had the most brutal, overdrive, saturated amp ever so it was like the biggest difference yeah. um, and I was playing this Les Paul with these strings tuned really low so they were kind of like floppy on the guitar yeah, and I yeah, was yeah. like 
I mean, it, it probably sounded okay, but uh, I remember it being loud and, and making a mistake in limbs and joints coming in too early on the heavy chords and <laughs> there was all these little things. But I remember it being like this blur and really loving it because yeah. I'd never been in a band that that kind of physical expression of the performance yeah. worked so well with the music that was being played because I'd always kind of wanted to perform in that way and in my last band it was actually almost a distraction it was a bit weird okay. and I remember like doing band comps and having people tell me like Otto this isn't Wembley man you know you're gonna have to <laughs> rein that shit in yeah a lot of it, a lot of bands at band comps need to be told that yeah it's true and, and, and to that guy's defence like it probably was too much but but with Sleep Makes Waves it was actually right on and yeah, it actually yeah. suited the vibe and it lifted the whole thing yeah yeah when we, when we started like kind of really making those shows quite quite physical so you mentioned the, the the touring kind of picking up a bit after you joined as well. Yeah, like, well, we started... Uh, well, shortly after that, we started writing... Well, I think some of the songs had been written for and so we destroyed everything and we, we yeah. kept working on, on songs and I started writing with Alex, which was good. Yep, yep. And then, yeah, we started touring up to Melbourne and Brisbane. It was mainly those two and then sometimes Canberra we did. Don't think we did Newcastle at that point. But yeah, it was nice. fairly soon. I mean, if I joined in 2010, then we had the year... And then when did we record and so we destroyed everything? That, that would have been, been like the beginning of 2011. So it would have been that summer. Yeah, so it was, I had it was year. February, February, a really hot, hot summer. Yeah, and, th- and then we recorded and it was when that was released that we got in touch with Mike Solo from Birds Road Records. Hi, Mike. Who we, who we knew because he put on a bunch of shows around town and yeah, we got yeah. to know him. And when the time came that we were going to release this, he started asking us really good questions that we didn't know answers to. Right. And, and we were like, with questions that good, this guy can't be bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember um, Mike was a guy I'd known around the traps for a little while, but not, not super well at the, at the time, but I'd always really respected the way he ran shows. He was one of those guys that seemed to be both incredibly organized and diligent and really in it for the right reasons as well and um i just saw on i think it was on facebook he just had put up a post being like hey my you know uh booking operation the birds road collective is now going to launch a label called birds road records yeah wow putting that thing out and um We'd already sort of made these plans to go and, and make a record with our, our good mate Dax, and I just remember getting in touch with Mike, and, you know, I'm not normally an initiative taker on these kind of things, but just, yeah. like, got in touch with him and being like, hey, man, you know, you got a label, you probably need a band, we've got a record coming out, I like the way you do things, mm. how about it? And um, it was probably one of the best uh, ideas yeah, I'd, I'd ever I. had. And um, Otto's totally right, he sort of... Um, came into the scene sort of intuitively understanding what the band needed respecting where we were coming from but always just thinking like three or four steps ahead Mm -hmm. of where we were you know sort of caught up in the very emotional part of making the music and doing these very physical performances the incredible value of Mike has been this ability to be both like uh very compassionate and, and, and measured but also supremely logical and objective and yeah, yeah. projecting a very powerful mind into the future it would be impossible to give him enough credit 
sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For everything that he's done. Yeah, I, I yeah. remember our first meeting with him at the the, the Shakespeare in, in Surrey Hills, I think it was. Oh, and, God. and him just asking questions like, so you know, what are your what 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 do you want to achieve out of the band? What are your goals? And it was kind of like <laughs> what? And we were like, oh, oh, we were just thinking about playing shows and having a good time, you know. Yeah. And, he, and but just by asking that question, it was really powerful because it actually you start responding in your own head and you're like what do I want out of this what do we want to achieve what can we achieve what yeah, could we actually a. achieve and when we started articulating those things yeah, yeah, it all yeah. started to crystallise and it was like well actually we'd love to you know maybe tour with a band like Carnival or another Australian big prog heavy hitter that yeah, you know, totally. we can yeah. play to some bigger audiences through <laughs> and, and Mike just like everything we kind of set out back then he's kind of ticked off already so it's kind it's of scary unreal, it's it? like yeah. we, we ran out wizard. of stuff he's a fucking wizard <laughs> we ran out of stuff to tick <laughs> this is all like bonus yeah I mean yeah like I don't know, what, at what point did you guys kind of notice that there was this shift, like, that, you know, like you said, people that you didn't know started coming to shows. There was, like, more of a following behind the band, you know, to the point where people from outside of, even outside of the country wanted to see you guys. I remember a show, I think we did, on, sometime on the Love of Cartography tour. Yeah. And, um, we packed out the Annandale Hotel. Yeah, I was, in, um, um, no, I wasn't. At, I wasn't at that one. I was at the one on the back of the first record. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Was that Love of Cartography, Annandale, or was that in? Some no, it was. It was a, I think it was, or maybe it was shortly before we released Cartography. Mm-hmm. I remember we were playing some Cartography tracks. But I think yeah. it was shortly before. So around then, we we played this show at the Annandale, which for me, at the time, you know, like many of my favorite bands had like uh, filled that room, and, yeah, and yeah. I that was. That was that was definitely another point for me where I thought, okay, this has now reached a point, you know. And, and it was an interesting thing. There was a certain period where I think all of us began to have to think quite seriously about how much priority we were going to give this band, mm. um, and what we were going to what we were going to do with the fact that it made us incredibly happy yeah. and uh, mm. was so good for us in so many ways, but was also just demanding a huge amount of time and effort and commitment and, and balancing all these other things. And that was probably that was probably sort of around uh, twenty thirteen when those questions were sort of really hitting pretty hard, you know, we were sort of going and, and doing these big tours of Europe. We yeah, twenty twelve was our first time in Europe and in South by yeah. Southwest and yeah. I remember at the time I was struggling with work like I'd just gotten this job and and all of a sudden I was in this band that was touring internationally which was simultaneously all I'd ever wanted and also like the worst possible timing oh man but yeah that Annadale show was rad and and we we had done Europe by then we had done uh, Texas and New York which were all like total bucket list things for me I think that first Europe tour were there any standout shows on that that you remember I mean that was cool getting there but it was like a really DIY tour that had Oh, we did Dunk Festival on that tour. Oh, and, oh shit. And that oh, room yeah. was packed. Yeah. That was really cool. And Who people played were, that? 65 played it. And on the other day that... that uh, there was two days. And on the other day... And so I watched you from afar were playing it as well. Fuck I yeah. think. Great band. And people... And we were decent high on the bill. Like, the band mm. was actually billed quite, quite high. And, and mm. we were kind of like, whoa, we've got cred in Europe? Mm. That, yeah, and that was a big thing too, and it, it, yeah. it always still remains a thing. Just going to a, another part of the world, and there are people that care about what you do and have been touched by your music. And like, someone comes up to you and says, "You know, I've, you know, got into you guys five years ago, and I've been like waiting for you to to rock up here. Thank you." And you know, yeah. like, 
that unreal. that that unreal. never um that that never is is something I think we've ever got jaded about at all. It's true. Yeah, and it's sick, man. Yeah. I guess in the end, we at least Otto and I decided to turf the jobs and do the best. jobs and other things. Yeah, yeah. Jobs yeah. And other so, things so you enough. guys, you guys aren't doing like nine to five shit anymore. Like this is pretty much it. Yeah. After the American tour, it was the first time I came back from a big tour and didn't go back to work. I was just like, because yeah. all the rest of the time, it had been this weird double life where I'd go to the work, get mentally prepared for the tour, just get used to the touring life, and have to adjust back to the nine to five job thing. Yeah, it was sure, really wrenching sure. every single time. Those transitional periods were weird. Yeah, I um, can imagine. But it was essential because we weren't earning any money off the band at that point. We're just at a point now where we can earn just enough to kind of get by and... I've done the heaps of rock stuff thing and moved back in with my parents in Tarawana hey. just to focus on kind of doing the best we can for this next album and to uh, save money on brutal, brutal rent. And I've, <laughs> I've been doing it a bit longer than Otto because out of necessity at the end of our, um, our last big jag around the world doing 55 shows in 2015, yeah. I came back to uh, having been fired and, and sort of uh, it was a bit of an economic downturn in Australia at that time and yeah, I was looking sure. for the same kind of like um, office jobs that I've been working before and it just wasn't happening and so yeah, I kind yeah. of just thought fuck it and have wound up in a point where I just like freelance doing a bunch of other music stuff which you know at the moment I managed to uh, play in this band pay the rent and have a good time Alex has just set up a, a studio business called yeah. Cartography Studios where he's doing uh, production Sweet and uh, soundtrack work and all that kind of stuff so Fucking got a Facebook a. page yeah. <laughs> ka-ching <laughs> sweet sweet mention yeah man oh yeah like so yeah like you guys are at a really really good point now that you're able to you know have that international exchange and bring bands over here now which is amazing and you've got a you know like a fairly solid fan base where you're able to comfortably yeah. go over and tour places and not have to slum it out and stuff yeah, like that yeah. like, it's been a slow trajectory yeah, that we're yeah. here now yeah and yeah, cool. yeah yeah and, and comfortable's a funny word you know <laughs> in, a, in a, like it, it's sort of at least the feeling for me and I, I don't know if it's the same for Otto is like a feeling of sort of like incredible gratitude to be able to sort of do something like this but also I suppose um it's in my temperament to be hyper-vigilant about the whole thing, and I'm always yeah. sort of like, I I feel like one should never take anything for granted, and totally. uh, like, I suppose my attitude is to always be like, humble and reverent in the face of what we do, because it's like, uh, who knows what tomorrow holds, the band sure, could continue yeah. going strong, or there could be stuff out of our control that just leads it to... Uh, to sort of tail off in, in some kind of way. Yeah. So it's like we comfortable I, I think we're we're comfortable with where we are creatively and we're grateful for every fan that we have and every yeah. sort of click and yeah, every yeah. like that we get. Um, but it also keeps us on our toes. And I yeah, think that's probably totally. a good thing. I, I, I agree with that, but I also think that what we've got in our favour is the fact that our, our climb has been so slow and steady. Is, is a good thing in, a, in an age where bands pop up and disappear just as quickly. Yeah, totally. Um, where, you know, getting on the right radio stations at the right time in, and having the right sound at the right time can bring you some really nice big shows around the country, maybe for months at a time. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's gone. Yeah. Um, that hasn't it's been fleeting, our, our story. Our story has been this really persistent story that mm. we, 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 we've slummed it out at the start and things have slowly got better. 
and that that part of it gives me optimism which yeah. is that you know no matter what the band will be will have this kind of respect and and it'll have this kind of status as one of those bands that that were real like, yeah we, we, we've slept on floors we've we, we've showered in bags you know we've done all of that kind of stuff and that gives me hope but yeah. on, on you know you always have those voices which are like you know has have we peaked i don't know maybe probably not probably not <laughs> We had we had this like really good year last year where this record we, we did kind of it had moments that, that Triple J liked and that, yep. that, that, that they felt that like fans would like and you know there's such a powerful force in Australia that, big time yeah that um that we had this amazing tour this time last year that we were talking about earlier the yeah yeah tour where we were doing these massive rooms and they were close to selling out yeah and it's kind of like what we're working on at the moment is quite far from that it's dark and it's heavy and torturous and like oh. and riffy and so yeah. it's kind of like you, yeah. it's never in our DNA to be like oh what's this going to mean for, it, for that but it's it's it, you know now that me and Alex are both kind of all in on the project I, yeah. I, I do find sometimes I wonder what, what, what the future holds well know. there's only one way to find out yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's it but there's never that's any it. question that we're going to write what we write and yeah, we, love, fucking we love heavy music we love riffs we love fucking right brutality I love it I love it alright so I'll wrap it up here but before we do that I ask this of all of my guests and now Sleep Makes Waves it is your turn <laughs> best and worst shows you have ever played Ooh. okay so the I think I can name maybe maybe not the worst show but for me the most hilariously absurd show that we've ever done Sweden no 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 Ooh. no, no. Um, I think Sweden maybe some of the Swedish ones might might take that that worst cake but for me the one is remember I can't was Milan in Italy and okay. we, we played we played in this um, so a few things where we played was actually a restaurant and the stage was made of wood and it slopes forward so all the amps which were on wheels and a drum kit were sort of in danger of rolling off the stage so I think it was a stage meant for either opera yeah. or theatre because it had this weird like Florentine mural background on it which was really strange to perform in front of there was like no sound mix to speak of <laughs> this really fancy restaurant happening and the show was a complete schmozzle. we had to <laughs> shower in this bag and, and the accommodation was this like Architects Convention Center next door, where Holy we slept, shit. where we slept in like a stairwell. I shit you not. And, and that's, um, but, that's amazing. But the uh, the redeeming features were we had a really really nice meal at the restaurant, yeah. and a very um a very eccentric. Uh, eccentric man bought us all really expensive rum at the end. Um, and that very magnetic, yeah, <laughs> and, and the support band were ego this kid. sort of ego kid with this weird sort of like prog Eurovision. Thing, it was it was really really strange. That's amazing. So that one that one, uh, and then actually, the worst show memory I have straight up, mm. most unpleasant one. This show was otherwise really good. We played a great show in uh, a place called Slovenia, okay. um, uh, the the capital of Ljubljana, in this awesome sort of warehouse complex called Metal Kova. Yeah. We played this awesome DIY show, but at the end of the night, a kid who had drunk way too much red wine came and projectile vomited copious amounts of spew all over our merch ran off and then the night culminated with me and Otto over a sink scraping vomit off shrink wrapped CDs trying to see what was salvageable at the end of the night that was definitely sort of like 
that was our first European tour we did, and that was sort of like that was that was pretty rough. The worst memory for me was was that show in Orebro in Sweden, where we had this really dodgy ass promoter who just didn't do any work at all, got yeah. us all the way over to Sweden, and 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 moved the venue at the last minute. Oh shit! To this tiny little youth cafe thing, and. By uh, two minutes to showtime, he supported. He he opens the shows. Oh, the God. promoter himself okay. doing this really chat acoustic guitar thing with all these like reverb effects, and it was like really weird and squeechy. And then we play, and there's like no one, no one. Like yeah. we we've played shows to no one. Yeah, every band's totally. done that. Yeah, it's of part course. of your bloody growth process. Yeah, but exactly, exactly. Th- th- those shows, there's like this this play by Tom Stoppard called Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Oh, and, yeah, and, I know and, the and one. And in the yeah. play, there's this amazing scene. Which is, it's about a theatre troupe of actors playing Hamlet. And, yeah. and in the play, there's this scene where they realise they've played the whole show and there was no one in the audience. Mm. And it's this, like, existential horror of, like, what is the point of being a performer if no one's watching? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, And yeah, there's yeah, some yeah. great monologues in it. But, yeah, I, I've, I've felt that, and I think Alex has felt that. Oh, everyone that, that, has. Yeah, that kind probably. of thing. Where it makes you, like, question not only, like, being in a band, but it makes you question, like, what you're doing on this earth. <laughs> <laughs> They're the worst shows. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, that's, that's, that's a good place to wrap it up. You know? oh, hey, what about the best show? Yeah, yeah. Let's, oh, right. let's oh, look yeah. into Grim just yet. <laughs> Let's end on a high note, people. Best oh, show. Best man. show. It's, it's really hard to pick one. So I'll, I'll throw in. Yeah. For me, that show at Metro last year. Yeah. Was Best probably, time I've seen you guys. Probably my sure. favourite show I've ever yeah. played. That was like the most joyous, wonderful thing that was felt like this culmination of years of effort. So it was a searing high because after before you guys played, I was sitting side of stage in the fetal position watching This Will Destroy You. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah they, were, they were heavy. Oh, god damn. Yeah. So, so good. But yeah, yeah that, that show was amazing. What about you, Alex? Look, we've, we've played some amazing places around the world, so I'm going to pick two. Um, okay. First one was the, the second time we arrived at Dunk Festival in Belgium. I just liked that because it was great to come back to this familiar place and it was just an even more vibey and intense show than the first time we did it. And mm-hmm. the other one for me would be when we played a show at a place in Beijing in China called Yugong Yishan, which is this live house built into this sort of forbidden city kind of old (laughs) part of Beijing. And um, I think Otto would agree with me. There's nothing quite like playing music in China. And there's nothing quite like going to a country for the first time and uh, not having been promoted there and having 800 kids rock up to see you. And uh, it was really, really something else. Yeah, I can imagine. That's incredible. Uh, so you can pick up all of Sleep Makes Wave's stuff uh, through their Bandcamp and through Bird's Robe, etc. But uh, is there anything you guys would like to plug or uh, finish off with? Well, we're going on tour. We're currently on tour with The Contortionist. If this goes out before the end of that. Um, I think it'll be done by the time you guys uh, are... Well, in that case, we're coming out with COG, although those shows basically sold out. So yeah. good yeah. luck. <laughs> so just like us on Facebook sign up to the mailing list we're going to have new music coming out next year Sweet. and uh, you know keep watching the stars I just want to say that uh, Kurt Cobain said he felt like he made it when he got parodied by Weird Al I kind of feel a little bit the same now that I've been on all my friends are in bar bands oh man <laughs> that's very kind of you thank you <laughs> Alex Otto thank you guys so much thanks DJ I'm David Jem Jong and all my friends are in bar bands
has been a David James Young Writes production. For more information, visit davidjamesyoung.com. 